Well, what a week it has been, right? I mean, it has been a uh, an emotional roller coaster in many ways. Uh, and as we look at uh, our lives and the life of our country and what's going to happen from this point forward, uh, there was uh, something as I was talking to somebody this week, and a couple of times I used this phrase, is God's word this week has soothed my soul. Uh, no matter where you fall on what is happening currently in our country, in our political environment, uh, there is one thing that is unchanging and does not uh, detour us at all, and it is God's word and God's truth. And uh, what I want us to do this morning is to literally allow God's word to soothe our soul. Uh, and we're going to do that in a way that I really believe is uh, can be a unifying way um, that God challenges us to be as Christians, is that we live in lives of unity and live lives of peace. Um, you know, for the past 18 months, our country and the world has been focusing on what would happen on, on December, or not, not December, on November 8th. And I don't know if you know it or not, but 1,780 people actually qualified to run for president of the United States. They filled out the forms, turned it in, and over that, this incredible process, we got down uh, to two people. And these months, we've had candidates come and go, issues rise to the surface, heated debates over important issues. And eventually, we had 120 million people vote on Tuesday. One candidate won through the Electoral College, one won the popular vote. What an interesting and unique year this has been. Yet what has, I feel, one thing that has been clear, maybe not the, the election, but one thing that has been clear for me in this cycle is that division, disharmony, and disunity within our country, our family, and our friends, and our churches has seemed to what has been boiled to the surface. And that breaks my heart. Our culture, even the Christian culture here in America, has come to the point where disagreements means disassociation, where arguments lead to fights. And instead of talking to one another, we start talking about one another. And instead of believing the best about those that we disagree with, we start to wish the worst on those that we have issue with. And this is so far from what God had in mind for us. This is so distant from God's plan for his creation and especially for those that followed him. And it's not just anger and bitterness and resentment that God didn't want for us. It's also the idea that everyone has to be the same that we must all fit into some certain mold or embrace some certain way of thinking. This is not what God had in mind for us either. God embraces and values diversity of thought, diversity of life, because he created us that way. And that's what I want us to really focus on this morning, this idea of how can we have diversity or unity through diversity. But believing that you have God figured out and know who he would have voted for, or who would he stand with, or who he would have stand against is rooted in either ignorance or arrogance. Me trying to tell God who he stands for is me either being completely ignorant or me being completely arrogant. And this reminds me of a passage out of Joshua where the Israelites were heading to this battle in Jericho. 
they were one of the first cities that they were sent to conquer as they were moving into the promised land. And I want to read Joshua five thirteen through 14 to you. And uh, just think about this. It says, one day Joshua was near Jericho when he saw an angel standing some distance in front of him. The angel was holding a sword. So Joshua walked up to him and asked, are you on our side? Are you on the enemy's side? What a great question. I would want to know that, too, if I saw some guy with a flaming sword as I was about to go into battle. And the guy, the angel said, neither. He said, I am here because I am the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua fell to his knees, bowed down to the ground and said, I am your servant. Tell me what to do. Can I just clear up a couple things here right quick? God isn't for Trump. God isn't for Hillary. God isn't for any of the other 1,778 candidates who declared their candidacy this time. God is for God. God's for God. I don't care what anybody posts on Facebook, what anybody tells you, God is for God. And instead of telling God who he needs to fight for, we need to remember to do the same thing that Joshua did here in this passage and say, I am your servant. Tell me what to do. That has been my prayer this week. God, I am your servant. Tell me what to do. I want to be honest for a minute because what bothers me most about what has happened in this election cycle is not who won or lost, but how many of those who call themselves evangelical Christians have responded. It breaks my heart that many in our culture now view Christianity as synonymous with oppression and injustice instead of being a champion for equality, grace, peace, and justice for all people. God designed us to be peacemakers. God called us to be instruments of grace in this culture. And I, I'm painting with a broad stroke, cause, but, but we, as people who call ourselves believers, have to be make very clear and very sure that we are champions for equality, grace, and peace, not for oppression and injustice. So what I want to do today is, is ask this question. What does God want us to do now? What, what should we do now? This is the question I want us to grapple with, this idea of how we deal with differences of opinion and diversity of thought. Because this isn't something that's just unique to the election, right? Maybe it brought it to a point this week. It is something we deal with, though, in every situation and circumstance of our life. From who we cheer for, when it comes to football or baseball, to our political views, to our taste in food. We all have differences of opinion. If you look around this room, there is no one here that thinks exactly like you do. Zero. Everybody's going to differ with you on something. There's no one here that has the exact same opinions, and you will always, we will always find diversity. Katie and I, we've been married coming up on 25 years. We've known each other since first and second grade. Like our life histories and life experiences have probably about as much sharedness as we can have. Most of my life has been with Katie. Vast majority. We still disagree every day. We still have disagreements. I mean, we talk about things and I'm like, how can we be so different on this? And it's okay. That's not a bad thing. God in his infinite wisdom knew that true unity and true beauty does not come through uniform thought in action, but instead through unique ideas and diverse thinking that show the full nature of his truth, his grace, and his redeeming love for all people. 
and this is the dichotomy of thought that I want us to challenge our minds around this morning, is how do you find unity in diversity? This doesn't sound rational or logical. Doesn't unity mean that we all are the same? No, that's uniformity. And that's not what God called us to. Unity is when people with diverse thoughts can come together to present the full picture that can't be expressed individually. It is all the puzzle pieces coming together to give the big picture that God designed. No one person has every answer. No one political party has it all right. And when we fight to limit or restrict the expressions of others, we are actually limiting the fullness of God being expressed in our lives. And God speaks to this directly. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Paul examined this exact issue in 1 Corinthians. What was happening in this time, people within the church there in Corinth were dividing themselves into groups. They were saying, we think this, we think this. Paul, tell us who is right. Tell us which one of us is the best. Tell us which one of us is the most correct. And this group was, thought this group was important. This group thought they were the most important. And Paul gave them some reminders about the importance of embracing diversity to truly experience unity. And so let's look at these reminders. Let's start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13 says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink in one spirit. The first reminder that Paul gives us is this. We all come from a common origin. We all have a common origin. It is so easy to see differences in people. We, we see someone at a distance, and the first thing we start making determinations by how they look, the color of their skin, how they're dressed, where they're coming from. We, we make all these determinations about them based on the differences we have with them. Are they the same sex, race, language, faith? Do they wear the same clothes as me? We determine our initial level of engagement with someone often based on the least amount of information we have on them. We prejudge them before we ever really meet them. You know, if I have enough similarities with this person, then maybe I'll start building a relationship with them. If I have too many differences with this person, I'm going to keep them at arm's distance. We, instead, we, try to, we, we naturally try to find things that we connect with and have similarities with people. When I used to own a car when I lived in Georgia, I had a, one time I had a Jeep, a Jeep Wrangler. And I found it very odd as I started driving my Jeep Wrangler. Every time I would pass another Jeep, the guy would wave at me like he would wave. And I was like, is there a sign on the front of my car that says wait? And it I didn't take me long to realize people who own Jeeps wave at each other. Like, and I don't think that's true with any other car. Like, I didn't see anybody, like, in a Ford Taurus, like, hey, another Taurus, you know? But, like, people that drove Jeeps waved at each like, you're similar to me. Like, you like this, and you wave at people. It's, I, I still see it today when I see Jeeps pass. I'm like, it's just weird. We find similarities, and you're like, hey, we, we do that with more than cars. You know, we find somebody maybe likes the same team, likes the same kind of food, and we, we bond with them. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What is bad, though, is when we see people that are different from us and we intentionally keep them at arm's 
distance. We are judging someone based on the least amount of information that we will ever know about them. And God says, don't do that. Instead, God says to remember that even though we are different, we are many members. We all originate from the same place. We're one body. Every face that you see, no matter the, no matter the color, no matter the, the way it looks, is created by the same God that created you. No, no matter where you may find someone, on the street or in the boardroom or wherever, each has the same value and importance to God. We all come from the same place. And while we rush to add labels to people, God works hard to erase these labels and remind us that we are neither, as it says here in this passage, we are neither Jew, Greek, slave, free. We're neither white, black, yellow, brown, Republican, Democrat, young, old, male, female, left, or right. But instead, we are his. We're his. And we label ourselves, and these labels separate us. When we label someone, we limit them in our own minds. We're we're not actually limiting them. We're actually limiting what we can think that they are. We're limiting our thought. We put a label on somebody and we say, you can only be this. And I want to give you an action step with this this morning. With each of the truths we're going to find. And here's an action step I want to challenge you to do. Invite those that look, act, and think differently than you into your life. Be intentional. Find someone who thinks differently than you and sit down and have a conversation with them. Don't surround yourself with only people who think and look and act like you. And we don't do this so that we can study the enemy and better know how to defeat them, right? I mean, it's like, hey, come in and like the, you know, keep your your friends closer and your enemies closer. That's not what I'm talking about here. It's to actually learn that the deeper we get to know someone, the more we realize we have in common. The deeper we go into relationship, the more we're reminded that we all come from the same place. Second thing that we see this morning that Paul reminds us is in verse 14 through 16. And it says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. The second reminder that Paul gives us here, not only do we have common origin, but we all have some unique perspectives. We all have some unique perspectives. We see the world differently. Some of us experience the world as a hand. We like to do things. Some of us experience the world as a foot. We like to go places. Some of us experience as an eye. We see things others don't see. Sometimes as an ear, we hear things others don't hear. Even two eyes see things differently. Even two ears can hear different things. And Paul is reminding us that our perspective is not the only perspective. It's such a temptation to think that our perspective is always the right one. We, we like to think that we see everything just a little clearer than everybody else. That our point of view is just a little bit more informed and enlightened and insightful than other people's. But the truth is, none of us have the complete view. None of us have complete understanding. And just because someone sees something differently than you doesn't make them different than you. Would it make them any less part of the body? That's what he says here, right? Just because you're an eye and an ear and a foot, 
When we say you're different than me, it does not mean that you're actually any less part of the actual body. We all need to see things from other people's perspective. I remember one time growing up, my brother and I, it was one of the first times my parents left us in the house alone. I don't know how old we were. We were probably elementary age or something like that. And uh, this storm came, and the lights went out, the power went out, and we started hearing things outside. And as two young boys would imagine when you start, like, we're imagining people are about to invade our house, right? I mean, like, there's somebody that's coming to get us. And so my brother Jay and I, we sat and we could, there was a place in our house where we could see both entrances, both doors. And we sat back to back. He looked at the front door. I looked at the back door. And we got some steak knives. And we were sitting there. And, like, we were ready for whatever was coming. And I was like, you know, I've got my eye on this door. you got your eye on that door. We've got each other's back. And we sat there until my parents walked in. And they were like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, we're safe. We made it, you know. Like, I would have felt terrified if I didn't have his eyes behind me. And he probably would have felt terrified if my eyes weren't behind him. We had different perspectives, different understandings. We both needed each other. We think that those different than us are not part of us, and we fight them off, and sometimes we even cut them off, and we're doing damage to our own body. So here, here's an action step I want to give you of this one. Not only do you invite people into your life that are different for you, but when you do, listen to them without having to respond. Don't get, it's not time to argue. Sometimes it's just good to sit and listen and to understand why they think the way that they do. Learn their perspective without having to share yours. There'll be time to share yours, but sometimes you can actually understand things when you're not trying to convince somebody else and you just let them speak their mind. Your goal isn't to get them to see what you see but it's for you to see what they see. That's understanding that we all have unique perspective. Third thing is found in verses 17 through 21, and it says this. If the whole body were an eye, where would then be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would then be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot see, say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The third reminder that Paul gives us here about diversity is that we all have diverse expressions. Every body part has a job. Every part is unique and beautiful in its own way. And without each part, the body doesn't function as it's supposed to and it impacts other people. I love the idea here that God makes it very clear that he is not about uniformity, but is he instead about unity and focus that we find in the beauty and uniqueness of who we are. If you're an ear, be an ear. If you're a big toe, be a big toe. If you're a nose, be a nose. There's no shame or no pride in any part. Shame and pride only come when we think we need to be like someone else or we think someone else needs to be like us. How foolish would that be in a body, in a physical body? I'm so glad that I'm not covered with noses. I'm so glad that I have fingers on my hands instead of toes on my hand. I'm so glad that we have uniqueness and diversity. Which then brings us, but, but is there a standard? Does this mean that however we want to express our faith and express ourselves ourselves, 
is up to whatever we feel like. And the answer then, that is no. Can we just be what we want, how we want, do what we want, whenever we want, and just call it a diverse expression? Not at all. Just like there are systems and laws within the body that help it function and to remain healthy, within our spiritual life and within our spiritual body, there are rules that are good for the whole body. There are systems that allow us to function like we're designed to be. You know, the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Paul and the other apostles, they're not there to limit or refrain our expressions. They're helped there to give life and to guide our diverse expressions. So here's an action step that I want you to take with this one. Celebrate what others can do that you cannot. Celebrate what others are good at that you're not good at. Encourage their expression instead of trying to minimize it. Learn to rely on other people's strengths. You know, uniformity, like it sounds okay until you start to think about it in practice. How boring would this city be if every building looked the same? How how beautiful would nature be if every tree looked exactly the same? We need Diversity, we need unique expressions. The fourth thing is this, and it's found in verse 22 through 26. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And on these parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And the fourth reminder Paul gives us here is this, is we have an unavoidable dependence upon one another. We're created to depend on one another. And when we separate from one another, it actually causes us more harm. You know, it's our natural tendency to think that we can do this by ourselves, that we don't need anyone, and we don't need people that aren't like ourselves. One of the biggest tricks you can fall for is to surround yourself only with people who think and act like you. Wisdom does not come through the number of voices that you have speaking into your life. Wisdom comes from the variety of voices that you have speaking into your life. What they call this, and you can even read about this, and why they're saying some of the people missed what was happening when the election is what they're calling an echo chamber where the only voice you're hearing is what you're speaking. The only voices you're hearing back are things that agree with you. And that doesn't give you a clear picture of reality. We need each other. This isn't, there isn't one of you here that I don't need. Sometimes we may feel meaningless and useless, but I am part of you and you are part of me. I cannot fully function without you and you cannot fully function Without me, whatever value the whole body has should be expressed for every member. And here's the action step I want to give you on this one. I want to challenge you to eliminate the comparison game. Eliminate the comparison game. Stop ranking people based on how they can accomplish what you were designed to accomplish. If you're an ear, stop stop judging the eye for not being an ear. If you're a hand, stop judging the foot for not acting like a hand. Don't diminish the work of others 
it's your work too. What they're doing is your work too. Imagine trying to hammer a nail in using your foot. Right? I mean, maybe after years and years of practice, you could figure out a way to do it. But the hand was designed to build things and to use your hands to shape things. Feet were designed to get you places. Each have their own purpose. The last reminder is in verse 27 through 30. And he says, now this, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do do all work miracles, do all possess the gift of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the answer to that, of course, is no. But what he reminds us here is that as we're all parts of this, the reminder is this, is that we all have a unified purpose. We too often forget that we aren't just here for ourselves. And this is what turns diversity into division. We see our perspective, look at our own expressions, and only surround ourselves with similar relationships. And we think that the world revolves around me. If I think this way, then my world, when my world is threatened, even by those within the body, I not only get defensive, I start to get destructive. It's not just what I think is best for me, but I want, I begin to want harm to, to fall on others. It's not that I just say, as long as I'm okay, but I want those that I feel distant from and disagreeing with, I want harm to come to them. You know, sometimes we figuratively shoot off our own foot because we don't like where it's taking us. Each gift that God has given us described in this passage are not for our own glorification. If you have the gift of teaching, apostle, healing, encouraging, helping, whatever it is, God did not give it for your own glorification. He gave it for the building up of the body of Christ so that we, as followers of Christ, may jointly and uniquely blend our gifts, talents, and passions together to be a representation of Christ to this world. That's why we're given these gifts. Thank God we aren't all apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, healers, helpers, administrators. We would be useless and ineffective in showing who Jesus was because Jesus was more than just one of those. Yeah, Jamal's not here this morning, but many of you know Jamal. He works in the film industry. And one of the key things, if he was here, that he would tell you that's so important about making a film, to make a feature film, you cannot do it by yourself. The word that filmmakers use all the time is the word collaboration. You have to learn to collaborate with other people and allow people to do what they're good at even when you're not good at it. And that's what God is saying here. You have a unified purpose to present this film, this beautiful picture of who Christ is. Let's collaborate together to do that. So here's the action step I give you. Embrace your calling to accomplish what God has appointed you to do. What has God called you to do? What part is it that you're to play and stop speaking ill and wishing harm upon others, even if they do so to you? These reminders of how we find unity and diversity are not just good thoughts. Instead, they're actually, in a sense, a roadmap, a map through a maze of uncertainty. And Paul says it best when he closes this chapter with verse 31, and it says this. 
but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. There is a more excellent way. There's a more excellent way than trying to live life by yourself, to not embracing diversity. This excellent higher way is not angst and agony over an election. A higher way is not gloating or demeaning those who seem to have lost. A higher way of thinking is not one man or one woman can give us hope that we can only find in Christ. The higher way is desiring these, what he says, the higher gifts, the gifts that impact the whole body, the gifts that aren't just focused on you, but are expressing Christ to the world. And I want us to close this morning by seeing how God actually answered the question we began to struggle with. If you go back to Joshua, what did he say? When, when he stood before the angel with the flaming sword, Joshua fell on his knees and bowed down to the ground. He said, I am your servant. Tell me what to do. And what did that angel tell him to do? Verse 15 says this. He said, take off your sandals. This is a holy place. The only way for us to embrace the more excellent way is to approach God in worship and obedience. And that's what he called Joshua to do here. He said, how do I do this? How do I make sure I'm on your team? I'm fighting for the right side. Worship God and obey God. Why don't you have him take his sandals off? Not, not that his shoes were maybe dirty. It was a symbol of saying, you're not going to go anywhere until I tell you where to go. You're not going to do anything until I tell you what to do. It was a complete trust in our God and our creator to worship and follow. My question for you this morning is this. Do you want the more excellent way? Or do you just want your way? That's a hard question for me this week. I many times want my way. But I honestly pray this week that we, as followers of Christ, would desire the more excellent way. Are you willing to embrace unity over uniformity? And will you stop worshiping your perspective and your expressions and start worshiping God and take your sandals off and don't be willing to move? unless he tells you where to go. Will you join me as we pray?